Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Thanks to nearly two years of COVID-related shutdowns and sheltering in place orders, working from home has become the new normal. Face-to-face interactions have been replaced by meeting on real-time video conferencing platforms like Zoom, FaceTime, or Teams, while cloud-based collaborative platforms have become absolutely vital if any work is to be done. And of course, long commutes and dressing up in business casual or office attire have been replaced by rolling out of bed and making sure you're somewhat presentable when you fire up the camera on your home computer. As with many things that we're forced to do for extended periods of time, many of us got used to the new normal and actually found some of it to be quite enjoyable and more productive. As things are opening up again and people are getting back to how they lived before COVID, will that spell the end of the remote work era? Not for Quinn Emanuel. The litigation powerhouse made headlines last December when it announced that partners and staff could work from home permanently if they chose to. At the time, founding partner and chairman John Quinn said that adopting this policy would allow the firm to recruit the best litigators, regardless of where their desks were. My name is Victor Lee, and I'm an assistant managing editor with the ABA Journal. And joining me today on the Legal Rebels podcast is John Quinn. In addition to being the founding partner and chairman of Quinn Emanuel, John is the host of the Law Disrupted podcast. Welcome to the show, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. So most of our listeners know about your firm, but in case they might not, how would you describe Quinn Emanuel to, to people who um, you know, have never heard of your firm before, especially the culture of the firm? Well, we're kind of a unique model for a large law firm. Uh, we're over 900 lawyers, but I think perhaps uniquely, we only do disputes work. That is to say, litigation and arbitration and government-facing type of you know, regulatory white-collar problems. So it's a very large firm that only does litigation work. I'd say maybe another distinguishing characteristic is we have 30 offices in 11 countries around the world with mostly locally qualified litigators in each of those offices. So, I mean, we're a business litigation firm under that large sort of rubric. We do pretty much every type of dispute, whether it's antitrust, white collar work, you know, patent litigation, uh, securities, finance industry related litigation, pretty much any type of business dispute. So as far as the culture of the firm, um, is that it, like, how would you describe sort of the ethos of the firm as far as how lawyers deal with each other, how they deal with their clients and things like that? Well, since we're a litigation firm, and litigation is kind of a competitive enterprise, it's, it's adversarial. So we're a firm, the lawyers in our firm are very focused on representing our clients well and coming out on top, on winning. So one thing I would say is we're extremely competitive towards you know our adversaries and in representing our clients but internally within the firm we like to think of ourselves and I think it's true to be extremely uh, cooperative collaborative sharing information sharing knowledge sharing experiences lawyers who have joined our firm from other firms say our firm is very different than the firms they were at before in the way that people share knowledge and experience we're very email intensive internally, and that's a lot of that is people helping each other, making requests for help. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Do you have a precedent for this? And people piping up and, and volunteering to share what they know and volunteering to help. So that's uh, internally, we're an extremely collaborative, team-oriented firm, I would say. 
And how do you maintain that team ethos when um, you know you have people not coming to the office or you know working remotely or you know maybe a mixture of that? How do you how do you how do you maintain that to make sure that everyone stays on the same page, everyone collaborates, everyone does what they're supposed to do, and things like that? Well, I mean, it doesn't just happen. We have to we have to focus on that. We have to talk about it. We have to walk the walk in addition to talking about it. So every day people are you know, helping each other and moreover, people see that that's how we relate to each other. You know, once it starts, it's the sort of thing that once the ball starts rolling and people understand that it's kind of countercultural to be territorial about relationships and with clients, the kind of behavior that's encouraged at our firm and the kind of behavior that's frowned on at our firm, people kind of understand how we work and what the best way to succeed at our firm is. Gotcha. So let me ask you, I mean, when you, I think one reason why your announcement resonated or, or made such a big impact uh, back in December was that, you know, a lot of firms at the time, especially the firms in the AMLA world were kind of taking, if not a wait and see approach, they were saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll allow hybrid arrangements or we want everyone to come back a couple of days a week to still be in the office regularly, but they would get to have more flexibility uh, to work from home during the week. So what made you decide to just kind of take that extra step and say, no, we're going to do this permanently. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have this be um, a permanent part of our firm. Well, I think it was really the experience in the pandemic. We've learned since the spring of 2020 how much can be done remotely. I mean, I never would have thought that you could do arbitrations, have all these hearings, have depositions, do most everything we do except jury trials remotely. And once you've learned that, it's really hard to unlearn that. I mean, it's much more, it's much more efficient. I frankly find that there's more communication on Zoom, I mean, every day I'm on Zoom calls with four, five, six, a dozen people, multiple calls. So there's more communication, I think, than there was even you know before the you know we started doing practicing virtually, as it were. But to be clear, many of our people work prefer to be in the office, and many of them are coming back. It varies a lot from office to office. Like we have more people coming back in, uh, I think, in Chicago and New York, in Houston, you know, people in California, in Los Angeles, in the Bay Area, our offices in Silicon Valley and San Francisco, we're seeing fewer people come back. So it's very much a local thing. But we also want to create an environment in the office which is hospitable to coming back. So some people want that experience, that they're coming in every day and they're part of a, uh, of a team of people and they interact and see each other. So it's really up to the individual lawyers whether they want to be in the office or whether they want to be working remotely. Now, even if you're rem- working remotely, there'll be times that we have to get together. You know, you have to be in the room together when we're doing an arbitration, we find, or doing a deposition. So there's some, ac- some, some kinds of activities where people are going to have to get together. As to how this all really started and why we made the decision, like a lot of law firms uh, over the last two plus years, we've really had a challenge staffing cases. We've been looking for legal talent, particularly more associates. And we thought that if we could make it possible for lawyers, great lawyers who would be great additions, who would be good additions to our firm, but for whatever reason, weren't in a position where they could come to a city where we had a physical office. If we could make it possible for them to join our firm and work virtually, that that would enable it. We'd be able to tap into a large pool of very qualified lawyers who'd want to have 
join our firm, whether they happen to be in Boise, Idaho, or Des Moines, Iowa, or Charleston, South Carolina, wherever. So the original thought was, look, there's a lot of people who want to work remotely. They like this way of practicing, including people who are already at our firm. But also there are probably people out there who we would like to recruit, and this will be a way to attract them. Gotcha. My next question, I'm not saying this is the case of your firm, but I mean, I think in general, like if we see people you know, in the office as opposed to you know, working with them remote, the natural tendency for a lot of people is to you know, maybe forge a closer bond with the people who show up or people who are available at the office or people who are around so that they can talk to and whatnot. And then obviously, you know, when it comes time for, you know, uh, promotions or for bonuses, you know, that could, that, that could always play a role in, in sort of how those decisions are made. So how do you kind of guard against that and kind of, you know, make sure that that bias doesn't, doesn't seep, seep through and, and, and necessarily, you know, uh, handicap people who, you know, like you said, you know, either prefer to work remotely or in a situations where they have to be. Well, the key has really got to be in the performance, uh, in the work product, uh, whether it's the quality of a brief or the quality of a, the transcript of a deposition that's taken or the research. And I don't think it's possible from looking at a brief to determine whether this brief was written by somebody at home somewhere or whether it was written by somebody in the office. You know, quality is going to be quality and will speak for itself. So really that's what we try to do is you know, identify and reward high performers. And I don't, you know, I don't think the quality of the performance is going to be affected by whether somebody is in the office or working from home or somewhere else. And um, at the time that you announced this policy, you, you, you know, and, and, and just in, in talking now, you talked about the need to recruit top lawyers in such a competitive market. The job market has always had ebbs and flows. And I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that COVID would result in an economic slowdown and that would make the market turn cold. And a lot of people would. did when it first started. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, were you surprised that things didn't turn out that way? Yeah. I mean, I think people thought that this would result in a huge economic downturn and, you know, there'd be people with time on their hands. And of course, that turned out not to be the case at all after the, you know, the injection of couple of trillion dollars in the economy and the support that the federal government in particular provided. I mean, it was, it's turned out to be an extreme from a business standpoint, an extremely busy couple of years. So we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. So John, if I can uh, change gears a little bit, uh, and let's talk a little bit about how COVID has changed the way cases are tried. So obviously remote hearings and depositions look like they'll stick around in some form. And um, if the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case is a bellwether, it looks like testimony via live video could as well. So the fact that like some of these things are going to stick around, did that play a, a, a part in your decision to let lawyers and staff remain remote? Well, I guess that's part of it, a sense in that everything, uh, you know, just as our firm has learned that we can work remotely. I think the whole judicial system has learned that things can be done remotely. I know many judges uh, have now gotten very used, they've told me they've gotten very used to conducting hearings remotely, and uh, they're more comfortable with it now. So, I mean, once you've learned that, it's, it's really hard to go back. So I, I, I do think these are permanent changes to the judicial system and how we do things. So as a litigator, I mean, do you, do you like these changes? I mean, sometimes, 
you know, especially like if you're used to being in court, um, you know, there's the the specter and gravity of a courtroom setting, you know, especially when you see that the judge is sitting at the bench, the jurors in the box and the parties at the tables and whatnot. And that kind of adds to like the sort of, yeah, like the gravity of the situation and, and, and the drama and whatnot. I mean, do you think something gets lost when you kind of move things onto Zoom or you have like hi- kind of hybrid trials where you're, it's part courtroom, part part technology? Well, that's still going to happen. I mean, there have been uh, some courts and then some experiments with doing jury trials remotely where, for example, you know, jurors come in and they're issued tablets and they take them home and they follow the trial from home. I think those have been very rare and in between. I think jury trials are still going to have to be done in person. Probably most trials, even bench trials, are probably still going to be done in person. So I don't think that that fundamentally is going to change. But the days where you have, uh, in California, we call them lawn motion days. There'll be a calendar day and say a Monday starting at 9 a.m. And there might be 40 motions on the calendar, summary judgment motions, motions to compel discovery, motions to stay proceedings, whatever. And uh, there'll be 30 or 40 you know, matters on the calendar. And so 60 or 80 lawyers in the room waiting for their turn to be called and be called up to the podium for you know, five to 15 or 20 minutes to be heard. There's a lot of wasted time there. And I think that that is much better done remotely where people have time slots and they call in and the judges have an opportunity just to rule on matters and talk to the lawyers one by one. Some things are going to remain virtual, but we're still going to be getting back into the courtroom for trials by and large, I believe. Gotcha. What are some changes that you would like to see? Maybe some you know, more technological enhancements that might make the courts run more smoothly, like maybe a more uniform e-filing system or more automated systems like self-service kiosks or online dispute resolution platforms or something else. I mean, like, do you think that there are other opportunities for technology here that you know, uh, don't necessarily necessitate having a pandemic shut everything down? Uh, interesting question I haven't <laughs> thought of. The pace of change and the techno- technological innovation has been so... So fast, I you know I'm still learning uh, what's out there. So I haven't had a chance really to think about what's over the horizon and what we might be able to do even better. For, you know, from my perspective, the present technology works very, very well. Gotcha. So when it comes to uh, utilizing technology in courtrooms and in the trial process, do you think that the pace of change has really accelerated as a result of COVID? I mean, one thing that we know about, you know lawyers and judges and whatnot is that is that they tend to be very reluctant to accept technology or they tend to be very skeptical of it has it surprised you to see just how how quickly they have adopted it and do you think that would have happened if not for covid yeah lawyers are not exactly known as uh first adopters i think i certainly think that's true uh but a lot of this technology was available before the pandemic you know you you have presentation systems in courtrooms and trials where transcripts and exhibits can be called up instantly that was true even before the pandemic but what i th- what i think the system what we all have learned is the degree to which you know you can you can have proceedings where people aren't in the room together i mean to me that that's the fundamental change it's not, it's not so much the ability to display and pull up information it's the fact that we can have people who are in all different locations. You have a deposition that the witness is one in one location, the attorney defending the witness is another location, the examining attorneys in a different location, the court reporters in a different location, 
and the concierge or the person who's doing the video recording is probably in a different location. That's what's new. As I've said before, I, I just don't see that changing. Finally, if our listeners wish to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? My email is uh, John Quinn at quinnemanuel.com. I do a podcast called Law Disrupted, which have, we have an episode that drops every week. I love to hear from people about that and suggestions for people I should be interviewing on my podcast. Great. Thanks for joining us, John. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to your favorite app and check out some other titles from Legal Talk Network. In the meantime, I'm Victor Lee from the ABA Journal, and I'll see you next time on the Legal Rebels podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.